Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Well, here, it is Christmas season here at Woodland Church. We just got done uh, finishing up a very, very short series out of uh, Thessalonians. If you have been worshiping here for a while, we were in, in Thessalonians, not very long, um, about six months. So it was uh, a very short, a short season there. But we are shifting gears. We are out of Thessalonians right now. But I do have to warn you. I did not get to finish Thessalonians, okay? You may not realize this, but I still got like four or five verses left that I do want to get to at some point. We're not going to do it right now. We're going to shift gears into the, into the Christmas season, but I think I could stretch out those, those five or six verses for probably three months. So we're thinking about doing that sometime next year here. But anyways, also, I can't believe that next year's coming. 2022 is coming up here in like no time. And I realize it's the holiday season and it's a very, very busy season. It can become a stressful season. You made it through, through Thanksgiving with your family and friends and now we are entering into the chaos of Christmas. So I wanted to do a series this Christmas on gifts. The gifts we can bring to our God. I realize that gifts are a part of all of our lives right now. Now, you may be a person that doesn't really enjoy the gift side of Christmas. I will not lie. I am sometimes one of those Scrooges where I'm, where I'm just like, who do we have to get gifts for? And, you know, it's just like it becomes a season of just gifts and gift and gift giving. And it can be a really, really stressful season. I don't know if you ever get stressed out about, about this time, but I know a lot of people do. But gifts are a part of our culture, right? As much as we some of you love the gift season, and some of you have been shopping since January of last year for the Christmas season this year, and some of you, the gift season stresses you out, but I wanted to be talking about gifts we can bring to the Lord, because gifts are a part of the world that we live in. I would put money down right now that every one of you in this room will either be getting a gift or buying a gift this year. Am I right or wrong? Is, is there anybody in here? who is so disconnected from everything that they don't even have to worry about the gifts? Because if you are, I, I want to just become friends with you. But gifts are a part of it. And we know the, uh, you know, growing up, gifts were a big part of my family as well here. I wanted to share uh, some, some images here of me at Christmas time with the gifts. Uh, we can put up that first image here. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you, you can definitely tell that this is 1983 because of the brown carpet and brown pants, right? But gifts in my house, we would celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, and it was a really, really big deal. Like, we, I remember growing up, it was like just this exciting, anticipating time, but, but we had rules. The rule was we have to have Christmas Eve dinner, and then dinner has to be cleaned up before we can open up gifts. And it is amazing at how much I did not really enjoy doing dishes 364 days a year, except for that one day. But we would, we would wash all of the dishes. We had the same meal every single Christmas Eve, potato sausage, if you've ever had that. That was like our typical Christmas Eve dinner. And then we would do gifts. And my parents were like extravagant on gifts. I got another a couple more, more pictures there. That's me. Uh, we got um, Guess Who, which is uh, a fantastic 
But that racetrack right down there, that racetrack was like my favorite gift of like all time. I asked my mom this week to uh, look through pictures, and then we got one more of me here. I don't know. That's, <laughs> he's a happy face. I look kind of weird there, and then my mom sent me this last one, which I can't, I don't know. I don't know if all of those gifts were mine or if those were the family gifts. And I can't, I don't know if I was in high school or college, but I've been this same size since I graduated high school. So it, it could have been yesterday, you know, I mean, realistically. But I share those with you because I do want us to be talking about gifts. And, if, and as we look at Matthew 2.11, I believe this is where a lot of the gifts come from. Matthew 2.11 about the birth of our Lord and Savior, and it says this, and it says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. This is Jesus. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and mirth. And I want us to take time this season for us to be thinking about what gifts can we bring to the Lord? And maybe you have never really thought about this aspect of life before. And in the midst of your Christmas shopping and thinking about Christmas and buying gifts, I want you and me to be thinking about what gifts can we bring to the Lord. And I want us to be jumping into a psalm today, to be looking at a, a psalm of, of, of David here. And I want us to be looking at the gift David brought to the Lord and how we ourselves can bring this gift as well. So if you would please stand with me and turn to Psalm 51. We're going to read a few verses from Psalm 51, and we're going to stand in honor of our God. And this is Psalm 51, starting in verse 14. King David says this. He says, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Let us pray. Father, this morning as we come and as we seek you, Father, we want to be men and women that bring gifts to you. Father, as we look to your word, Father, come and speak to us. Encourage us, challenge us now by your Holy Spirit. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Now before we dive into this passage, you guys should know me by now. I like to give you a background. And there is some important background information before you read Psalm 51. Psalm 51, David pens this psalm to the Lord at probably his lowest point in his life. Now, David had a lot of ups and downs, but this was probably David's lowest point. And this was a, a point in David's life where David was not doing well. And I would say he was not doing well spiritually. He was not doing well before the Lord in this moment. Now David was a man after God's own heart. David loved God. 
David pursued God. David was a man that was in love with his true king. However, David was not always perfect. That's one thing I do love about Scripture, is that Scripture, you will read Scripture, you will read these accounts of these men and women's lives, and God always reminds us, the reader, that his followers don't always make the perfect decisions always. That they mess up sometimes. And this is probably one of David's biggest mess-ups in life. And if you know King David, and if you have read the account of, of David's life, you will probably know the story that we're going to be talking about. But I want to give you some quick background here. So there was a time in David's life where David was supposed to be out to war. Uh, the Bible says that there are seasons of war. It's a very mysterious verse, but I guess there are seasons where kings go to war. Well, David decided not to go to war. For some reason, we do not know, David stayed home. And while David was staying home, David went up onto the palace roof, rooftop. And as David looked out into his kingdom, David saw a beautiful woman bathing. And being king, David wanted to inquire of this woman. And David called one of his men and said, hey, can you, can you find out who that woman is? And the man says, well, actually, I, I know who she is and I know who her husband is as well. And he even mentions that to David. Isn't she a married woman? But David, being who David was, decided to invite this woman over to the palace. And when he invited this woman over, they ended up sleeping together, and the woman became pregnant. Now David had a decision to make in this time. David had messed up up until this point. But David says, I can fix this problem. She might be pregnant, but that's okay. We don't have Maury back then where they call you up onto the TV and try to figure out who the father is at the time. David says, I can fix this. So David decides to call for her husband and ask for the husband to come home from war. And David calls him home, and David's plan is he will send her husband back home, and then he could say it is her or his child. But David does not realize that this man was a man of honor and a man who could not go home and spend time with his wife because this man knew that his men were out there fighting. So this man doesn't go home. Now David's looking at the situation. He says, okay, I, I, I told him that he can go home. So David has another plan. I'm going to get this guy drunk, and we're, and we're going to be drinking tonight. So he invites them over, and they start drinking. And this guy's in the presence of the king, and David gives him so much alcohol that he gets drunk. And David thinks, if I get him drunk, he will then go home and be with his wife, and this entire problem will be solved because they and he will think that this is his baby coming. The guy doesn't go home. He sleeps by the gate. So David, now this is where the story really turns, and this is where it's like, holy cats, how does this happen? So David says, okay, I have to get rid of this man. He calls him back in, hands this man a letter. In that letter that David hands to this man is this man's death sentence. Really, like, think about this. 
So David, a man who loves God, who wants to do what is right, messes up. Instead of coming clean, instead of doing anything, he continues onward. And he gets to the point to where he hands this man a letter. And this man brings this letter to the general. And the letter says, put this man on the front lines. And when he's out there, draw back and let the enemy kill him. This man literally held his death certificate as he walked back. But because he was such an honorable man, he never read it, he never opened it, and David gets this man killed. Now, the story, it doesn't end there. So David is now in this situation. He has committed adultery. He has lied. He has killed a man. But the story is not over. David is still not fully aware of what he has done. See, this is the thing when it comes to our lives and to David's life. Within our life, we can be walking in sin, and you can be a Christian, and you can believe in Jesus, and you can be kind of become unaware of what is happening, because that's what sin does in our lives. It deceives us. It makes us confused. And David is walking in, in clear sin, but he's not fully aware of it yet. He hasn't been confronted by what just happened yet. We don't know what David is doing. Maybe David's justifying his own sin while, you know, it, it kind of just happened and I saw her. And, you know, we don't know exactly what David was doing. But we do know that David wasn't fully aware yet until a prophet comes and speaks to David. The prophet Nathan. He comes to David and says, David, i got to tell you a story. And the story goes like this. There was a rich man and there was a poor man. And the rich man had all the sheep and all the cattle that he ever wanted. And this poor man had one baby lamb. And the rich man came and took that lamb from that man. And as David's listening to the story, David's getting angry. David wants to know, who is this rich man? What kind of man would take another man's one and only lamb? And Nathan looks at him and says this. This comes out of 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Verse 8. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. God is saying, David, I have given you everything. Everything you could possibly desire or want, David, I've handed to you. But you took another man's wife. Verse 9, he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David in this moment is all of a sudden fully aware of what has just happened. Like what I said, we don't fully know what was happening to David, but we do know that up until this point, David, David was, he was living in sin. He was doing what was wrong. He wasn't fully aware of what had just taken place. 
And the prophet Nathaniel and the word of the Lord came to David. And David realizes. And Psalm 51 is David penning, writing down what just happened. David's like reaction to what just took place. David is saying, this is what happened. And, and when you read Psalm 51, you need to read it in light of this account. You need to be realizing David was just confronted by his sin. David had just committed all of these horrendous sins. And in this moment, he becomes aware. And he realizes it. In Psalm 51, like what I said, he realizes this is what has happened here. And I mentioned this, but this is what happens with human beings, church. And you may be aware of this, you may not be, even if you are a Christ follower. The thing when it comes to sin in our lives, and you could say things that we do wrong, they deceive us. They like, they, they blind us. Sin literally blinds us. But sin is a really, really big deal. I realize like the world you and I live in, doing wrong and sin has become like totally acceptable. Like it's, it's like, it's no big deal. It's like, well, we all sin and we all just mess up and it's, it's really okay. And you know, it's just a little lie and it's just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know. And our world justifies it like it's no big deal. But scripture is very, very clear at how much weight is sin. And that sin is a really big deal in this world. James 1, 14 through 15 describes sin like this. But each person is tempted. And when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. The sin within our lives and within this world, people do not realize it, but the sin brings forth death. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve. What was the penalty of sin? You're going to die now. Death has now entered this world. And sin is is a huge issue. But so many people do not realize it. So many people think the sin of our lives, the sin in this world is like, well, and it's just kind of justifiable. But what, you, what, what we see here in Psalm 51 is we see a man that has this beautiful reaction when he becomes aware of his sin. When he is when his sin is staring him in the face. I want to jump back to how David responds. Look at verse 1 here. This is Psalm 51, verse 1 through 4. These are David's first words. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, 
And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David is at his lowest point. But what we see here is David's reaction and David's plea to the Lord. What I love about David is that David was a man that was by, by no means perfect, did not have everything in life perfectly figured out and never sinned. He sinned greatly here. But look at what David does. David instantly goes to the Lord. O oh Lord, have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. David is completely broken before God here. And his reaction and his response is just clearly like, God, I need you. He's not trying to justify it. He's not running from it. But he knows how God will respond to him. And I think, I think honestly, church family, the reason why so many people don't enjoy talking about their own sins or even confessing it or even thinking about the sin that we have within our lives is because we don't fully trust and know how God will respond to us. What we see here, David just killed a man. He just committed adultery. He just lied. Phil, I mean, like, it's like the highest level of sin that you could possibly imagine. If this story was on TV, it would be like this intense drama series of watching this unfold. And when David realizes that he has sinned, he says, God, have mercy on me. Not because of anything I can do. David recognizes this here. God, it's not based on me, but it's based on your unfailing love. David could have tried really, really hard to make things right. David could have been like, well, I messed up. I did all of this sin. I'm now fully aware of my shortcomings, my sin within my life. David could have started to be saying, well, what can I do to make this right? What can I do for you, God, to accept me back into the fold? Lord, what can I do to make this sin in my life right? Now, in the Old Testament, you guys may or, not, or may not realize this, but there's a book called Leviticus. How many here read that daily? I'm just going to just do a quick show of hands. Some of you who have been in church for a while will be laughing at that joke, but maybe for some of you who have never even opened up that book, I'm going to give you a brief summary. The book tells you, if you do this sin, you must do this sacrifice. You do this, the sacrifice is this. And the entire book is, is basically laying out when mankind falls short, this sacrifice has to be made. And this was the system David lived in, right? Like David's mindset at the time was, okay, if there is sin, a sacrifice must be made. But look at how, how, what David pens in Psalm 51 here. David's fully aware of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. David was living in it. But look at what David says here. 51.16. Psalm 51.16. David says this. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Or I would give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. I bring this up, church, because, because the entire Old Testament is based off of sacrifice or sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. At least that's how, how a lot of people view it. But David gives us this beautiful insight to who God is. It's like David knew who God was, and so many people were missing it. So many people, when they mess up, when they sin, they try to think, what can I do to make this right? The Old Testament people worked in sacrifice. Today, we work on a, on a different system. I don't, know, I don't know how you think, but when you sin and when you mess up, many people think, wow, God, what can I do to make this right here? That's one of them. But so many people live in this mindset, okay, what, what can I do, God? What can I do? But look at what David says here. I love this. I love, David says, listen, in verse 16, I would, I would bring a sacrifice, but you do not delight in it. You are not pleased with any sort of burnt, burnt offering. Then look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When David gets confronted with his sin, when David realizes that he has fallen short, he realized a couple of things here. He first realized how amazing God was and how God's loving kindness, he goes to God and he leans on God's mercy and grace and his loving kindness, and David realizes he can't bring an offering he can't do something in his own strength or, or might to make him right before God. The only gift David can bring is brokenness. David just, I'm broken, God. I messed up. I screwed up. I did what was wrong in your sight. I've sinned against the Lord God Almighty. And David's just simply broken by it. And I share this with us today because, because as I think about, Lord, what can we bring to you? What, what kind of gift can we bring this Christmas season? The gift that we can bring is our brokenness from our sin. And the thing when it comes to sin and brokenness within our lives is that I can't make you feel this way. I can't make you feel broken. I can't stand up here and preach long enough for you to recognize the sin within your life and the damage the sin has done in your life, whether you're a Christian or not Christian. But sin, the penalty is death. But I believe the best gift we can bring to God, the best gift is saying, God, I recognize my shortcomings. God, I recognize this brokenness within my own life. Because I see this all of the time. Nobody wants to actually stop and think about their, their own sin. It's easy to talk about other people's sins. It's easy to talk about the sins of this world and what is going on. But the thing is, is that when men and women stop and think about their own lives and realize, God, I have fallen short, the amazing thing is, is this is what it does. It pushes you to recognize your need for a Savior. 
When you see the sin and when the Holy Spirit reveals your shortcomings and sinful nature, you recognize how much you need a Savior. Like, God, like, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm still messing up, God. God, I, I need someone to come and save me. And that, that, to me, is the essence of the entire biblical story. Is that it's men and women recognizing their need. And so many people don't want to actually recognize it. But I'm telling you, church family, I'm in the same boat with you. We are sinners. We have fallen short. We still sin. We still mess up. God's, God's greatest man in the Old Testament did the most horrendous sins that we can possibly think of. And it's easy for us to maybe step back and think, wow, I'm not doing that kind of sin. You know, like I'm not, I'm not out there murdering people and committing uh, adultery here. But all sin separates us from him. And it's the penalty of it. It's death. But it points us to a Savior. It points us for our need for Christ. Because the entire cross, you know, the entire Christian message is very, very simple. You sinned, you messed up, me included, and we need someone to pay the price for our sins. And Jesus did it. Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And what can we bring back to God? What can we do? I would say the only thing we can do is come to God, rely on his loving kindness and mercy, and say, God, I'm broken before you. Lord, I've sinned against heaven and earth. There's nothing I can do to somehow make this right. I can't do enough good deeds to outweigh all of my bad deeds. God, I need you. And my prayer for us for this Christmas season is for us to recognize and say, God, the only gift I can bring to you is the brokenness that is within me. I have sinned, Lord. I have fallen short. And maybe you've been following Christ for many years, and maybe your sins today are, you're doing a lot better than what you were 40 years ago. But I would say it's the gift that we can bring always. Saying, God, I, I, I see my shortcomings. Lord, I see the sin within my life, and Lord, I need you. And that's all that it does, is that it, it points us to Jesus, is that it points us to a Savior. We don't brag about our sin, and God doesn't want you sitting in sin every single day saying, oh, just woe is me. And, and just It's like we come to him, and we lean on how good he is. And we, and, and we recognize, God, you forgive all of the world's sins. You guys, most of you probably know John 3.16. Does anybody want to quote it? Garrett, Garrett, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Right now. Oh, 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 Garrett, you failed. <laughs> Amen. He did not look, by the way. His eyes were closed. We, we know that verse. For God so loved the world, they gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Meaning, belief in Jesus brings eternal life. But do you guys know the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world 
to condemn the world in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus sent his Son in the world not to condemn us, not to make us just feel terrible 24-7. He sent his Son into the world to save us. But in order for us to be saved, we have to recognize we need a Savior. We have to recognize, God, I have fallen short of who you are, and I have sinned against you. And he did not send his son to condemn you. He sent him to save you, to give you and me eternal life with him. And it's not based on what you can and cannot do. It's based on what his son has done for you. That is the most beautiful gift this world could ever receive. But I would argue the only way we receive his gift is for us to give him our gift of brokenness. For us to recognize that we have fallen short. For us to recognize that we need someone to come and save us. And that's the entire salvation story. That is the, that is the message of God's word. But I would argue once again that it is our gift that we can bring to him is us to recognize the sin and the brokenness within our lives. And I don't care if you've been following Christ a day or 40 years or 50 years, this is a gift that we can bring all the time to him. Because it points us to how great God is about his loving kindness and how he has shown mercy and grace upon us because of his son Jesus. David understood this before Christ even came. David understood all these sacrifices we are doing, all these burnt offerings, you know, all these animals we are slaughtering, they're all pointing to a day where God will take care of the sins of the world. And he did. And Jesus. And church family, there is, there is no better gift for us to receive from God than his son Jesus. And I don't think there's any better gift that we can bring to God with us just to be honest and say, God, I... I have fallen short. God, I do fall short. But I need you. That to me is, that is where like God's heart is. When one sinner repents, heaven rejoices, scripture says. And I said this earlier, I can't make you feel this way. I can't, I can't have you feel like, hey, I am broken. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. I lived 19 years not feeling like I was living in sin, right? Like just 19 years of my life was just, just Jeff being Jeff, just regular sinner every single day. But when the Holy Spirit encountered me, my realization of my sin became aware. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and it reveals sin. It reveals our brokenness. It, it reveals our shortcomings. Not so that we can walk in shame every single day, but so that we can bring it to our Savior and say, God, I'm going to lean on your loving kindness. I'm going to lean on your mercy. Lord, I see my sin for it is ever before me, but I'm going to lean on your forgiveness and, on, and upon your grace. And that's, that's where we're just believing in Jesus. You know, Christianity is not a difficult, difficult aspect here. Some people are like, oh, it's just this 
religion. It's us just saying we are sinners and we need a Savior. And we believe the Savior came and we, we're going to put our hope and our faith in Jesus every single day. That is my prayer for us, church family. And I wanted to, I wanted to end service today because we're talking about our sins. We're talking about our brokenness. And the elements you are holding in your hands is that. I don't know if you, if you know this, but communion is not just a religious act. Communion is what God has done for us. There is two elements here, right? The bread, which Scripture teaches us, it represents the body of Christ, which was what for you? Broken. His body was broken for you and me because of our brokenness of sin. But God did not, did not stop there. God sent his one and only son to die for us, and his body was beaten, and he was stripped naked, and he was nailed to a cross, and his body was sacrificed for the sins of the world. But then, his blood, which was poured out, Scripture says. When Jesus hung on that cross, they put a spear into his side, and the blood came out, and the blood covers our sins. It washes us white as snow, and it's snowing. And when we come as a church family, and when we take communion, here at Woodland, communion is for everyone who simply believes in Jesus. If you believe Jesus died on that cross and rose again, and he is your Lord, and he is your Savior, you're welcome to take communion with us, because we are the body of Christ together. But, but we come and we take this so that we remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We come to him with our gift of brokenness and we say, God, I am here. I have sinned against heaven and against earth, but Lord, I'm going to lean on your loving kindness and upon your grace. And we just receive what Jesus has done for us. So I'm going I'm to ask for you to get that top part out, which I did not do beforehand. I warned you guys. I, need, I just cut my fingernails. There we go. Nope. Okay. I want us to get the, uh, the element out. And I want to pray before we take the bread together. Father, your word says that your body was broken for us. Father, we come this morning. We declare that. We believe that. We trust that for who you are and what you've done for our, for our sins and for us. Father, I thank you for sending your, your son Jesus into this world to die for me and for your people. Father, we remember the sacrifice you made. Church family, let's take the bread together. Father, I praise you for your blood that was poured out to cover our sins. Father, I thank you for not just dying for us, but for also forgiving us of all of our sins and shortcomings. Jesus, we lean on you today. 
And Father, we do this in remembrance of what you have done for us. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Church family, let's take the drink together. As you take that, I'm going to ask for you to stand this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team forward, and I want us to sing one last song here about holy is the Lord. And we are, we're going to end on kind of a high note this morning, because I do think that we should be rejoicing always for what God has done for us. I'll let, I'll let the worship team lead us, and then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to pray over offering. But let's just continue to bring honor and glory to, to the Lord this morning.